Welcome to episode 44 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I'm your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Jackson the Sun, and I might have to cut this podcast short because, you know, union hours. Oh, <laughs> uh, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we review, and today we are in part three of our tribute to the late, great, Lucio Fulci, who would have turned 93 in June of 2020. And on this episode, we are discussing his opening salvo in the Gates of Hell trilogy from, well, I guess you could say 1980, City of the Living Dead. Close those gates! We interrupt this program to bring you a special broadcast. Dunwich police authorities have declared a state of emergency. Effective immediately within Dunwich County. All citizens are requested to return to their homes as quickly as possible. In case of necessity, that tombstone? Oh, yes. I saw a priest who, by hanging himself, opened the gates of hell. what? It's All Saints Day. A demanding, implacable enemy whose search for blood is never satiated. So, buddy, tell me, was this the first time you've seen City of the Living Dead? It was. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I heard that these movies were convoluted. 
And I didn't believe them because I had seen stuff that I thought would trump this in every way possible. I mean, you got stuff like Jacob's Ladder, and I was like, okay, well, that that's kind of hard to follow. So I'll be I'll be good uh, during this. Nope, not at all. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on for a lot of it. I was very confused. So many characters, so many storylines. <laughs> I just need somebody to vent to about this movie, I guess. Oh, boy. Okay, well... I think this was my third go-round. I saw this on VHS sometime in the 80s, mid to late 80s. And then I saw it a few years ago on Amazon Prime and then watched it again today on Shudder. So the IMDb synopsis, if you haven't seen it, and shame on you if you haven't seen everything by Fulci, a reporter and a psychic race to close the gates of hell after the suicide of a clergyman caused them to open, allowing the dead to rise from their graves. Now, see, that clears everything up, doesn't it? Kind of. I mean, the dead derives from their graves, but only some of the dead, and only when it's convenient. Well, hey, they're, they're dead, man. Cut them some slack, you know. They, they, That's true. All right. So um, this was filmed and released in Italy in 1980, but did not see a U.S. release until 1983. Um, it was originally entitled Twilight of the Dead, but they were sued by the distributor of Dawn of the Dead, so they re-released it under the title The Gates of Hell, hence the name of the trilogy. But then it was later re-renamed City of the Living Dead. And probably won't surprise you, Jackson, that the VHS release was banned in West Germany and certain parts of Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's commonplace for Fulci movies. He's always got to sneak some grotesque practical effect and a little little bit of nudity in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. This isn't. This one's not big on nudity, though. Nope. No, uh, but it is big on gross special effects. Oh yes. Oh yes. 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 Um, so I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen the uncut version. Maybe I have. I know Anchor Bay released an uncut version via DVD in 2000. I missed on that. Um, I was in, you know, I was in seminary and law school at the time, but I. I'm not sure if I've ever seen it. I, I, you know, like I said, I've watched the last two times via Prime and Shudder, where you just never know what kind of version you're going to get. But I know that uh, Arrow has released a 4K. I haven't seen it on that. I don't own it. I'm not sure if it's still in print. I'll have to check uh, Diabolic DVD. But let's talk about this. Let's first talk about the filming. Um, I, as a filmmaker, I want you to put yourself in Fulci's shoes. Mm-hmm. knowing what you know now that you've seen it, right? Right. Uh, okay, so they filmed for six weeks, first in New York City, and then in Savannah, Georgia. That's where the cemetery scenes and small town scenes are in Savannah. Uh, some of the days they were shooting with the live maggots, and those are real live maggots, got up to 108 degrees. Yeah, sounds like hell. <laughs> I would not want to be there. Uh, yeah, I, I figured they were real because you can see some in the actor's uh, hair and they're crawling around in there. Yep. So not pleasant. Uh, I think that is probably the worst set to be on. I mean, you hear about these troubled sets like Evil Dead uh, where, I mean, it just sounds so uncomfortable and muggy. But when you're surrounded by 3,000 maggots just crawling around on you and at your feet and on your phone, ugh. That would just be the worst. And yeah, I hear that uh, that Georgia is great uh, for filming summer <laughs> scenes with maggots. That sounds just just peachy. Nice and muggy at 108 degrees. Well, mm-hmm. uh, it probably won't surprise you after we did our zombie episode that uh, a number of the actors did not get along with Fulci. 
Yeah, I, I bet. And <laughs> I don't know, are they Italian actors? Because you mentioned uh, on our last episode that he didn't speak English very well. Uh, no, not all of them were Italian actors. In fact, the two leads we'll talk about here in a second uh, were American and British. Um, so one of the leads, Christopher George, who horror fans will know from Grizzly and The Exterminator and Graduation Day and Pieces, where he co-starred with his gorgeous wife, Linda Day George, and Mortuary. Um, so George and Fulci did not get along and Christopher George was not somebody you typically wanted to screw with, as I'll talk about here in a second. So George allegedly took some of the live maggots and stuffed them into Fulci's pipe when he wasn't looking. Uh, the director rather ridiculously claimed later that this gave him hepatitis and liver damage. Maggots? Smoking maggots, yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's not great for your health, but I don't know about hep C. Yeah, hepatitis and cirrhosis, given that he was a heavy drinker and diabetes. I, I don't think the maggots did it. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something Sounds tells more me like he's scotch. Got, yeah, yeah, that and uh, just years of having a grudge for Christopher George, I guess. Just yeah, internalized that. all that. And, and Dario Argento, let's not forget that. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, and then stories about post-production abound. Uh, the ending, which we'll talk about later, was changed. Some say because Fulci spilled coffee on the negative. Uh, others insist the director just wanted a different ending. Um, what say you based on the ending without giving it away yet? You, you saw the ending on uh, Prime or Shutter. Yeah. What did you, what you did just, you? Do you mean like the last couple of shots? Like, yeah, the last few seconds. Uh, I thought it was very confusing and I did not get it. Uh, but then I thought maybe I'm just too stupid to get it. And then I remember this is a Fulci movie. He makes stupid movies oh. that are so fun to watch. Oh. So then I went back and I, I watched the last 10 minutes before that. It doesn't make any more sense. I think he just wanted to throw in one last weird kind of scare moment. Yeah, we'll talk about that scare moment when we get to the end. So... The film was actually considered a box office disappointment, um, but it became a cult classic. Obviously, let's get into the plot. It's influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, right? Because it's mainly set in Dunwich. Yeah, I, I was picking up heavy Lovecraft sp stuff, especially, I mean, opening the gates of hell. That's right. a very Lovecraftian thing. He loves that, like, huge stakes, but on a small setting. Mm-hmm. Opening the gates to another universe or some kind of parallel, kind of a Cloverfield kind of thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we have a Catholic priest who hangs himself in the Dunwich Cemetery, um, which apparently is very hard to get to this little town. Uh, the beer distributors and liquor distributors seem to find it, but no one else can. Um, and then we have Mary, who's in a seance in New York City, and she somehow witnesses this uh, hanging. And those around her believe to be dead by fright, and they bury her. Mm -hmm. And yeah. She, yeah, and she is discovered by Peter, uh, played by the late great Christopher George, who is a journalist. And uh, he discovers after, as you mentioned earlier, the grave diggers don't want to finish their job because, you know, union rules. Mm -hmm. uh, and she screams. Now, the actress who plays Mary, we'll get to in a minute. She does have a good scream, if that's she her does. Role. Yeah, she she is a great scream queen. I can't say that for the rest of her performance, but <laughs> that scream was blood curdling. Yeah, absolutely. So Peter saves her. Uh, they go and consult uh, the medium who warns them that the pre-suicide has opened the gates of hell, that the dead will rise. 
So they set off to find Dunwich, which is very hard to find, apparently. They're out to save the world, but first they stop for a snack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because this movie has such high stakes, and, and she's like, I'm hungry. <laughs> like, and she's the one that dragged him into this. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's, 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 of course, it's a Fulci movie. I mean, you'll remember and Don't Torture a Duckling. They took a lot of unnecessary time to just kind of talk and hang out while there's children being murdered. So he's not uh, not too adamant on keeping the, the plot moving at all times. Right. And then what I think is probably your favorite part of the movie is when we switch back to Dunwich, all you know what is breaking out and breaking loose. Uh, the dead are rising and killing the townsfolk in really gory, gruesome ways. Really mm-hmm. gruesome. Yeah, I love, I think that is the movie's strongest uh, aspect. And that's just because they weren't afraid to show you some things you had never seen before. I mean, some of the effects in this, I would love to own them if they still exist because those are one of a kind. Like the carcass of a baby covered in maggots and worms? Yeah, I was thinking more like somebody scooping out the backside of somebody's head with their hand. <laughs> I don't even know how that works. It looks like they're scooping ice cream with a spoon. Those those people, um, their soft spot never hardened. Uh, that's what it is. Yeah, the, <laughs> conveniently, the two characters they try it on just so happen to, to have that non-few soft spot. Yeah, uh, but the one I'm thinking of most is probably vomiting up your guts. That one oh. was just- that one was terrifying, and they kept on it for so long. I mean, the camera oh, yeah. really lingered. Yeah, they did. Um, that story is something, um, because it, it, there. now I, I should say there are conflicting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so apparently the actress who does the vomiting, mm-hmm. she claims that the initial vomiting was her that she ate tripe, that's like cow bowels, mm-hmm. uh, to cause her to vomit. Uh, but the special effects people said, no, it was a fake head, and, and they were just pumping stuff through it. What say you? Well, part of it is fake. You can tell that from the close-up with those like plastic teeth. Um, part of it is a fake head. But, I mean, that first vomit, it looks... <sighs> I don't know. It looks so. She looks so distressed. I would believe that maybe one of the shots at least had some real vomit in it because I don't think Fulci would stray away from that. Um, no. However, I think she may just be saying that to elevate her role in the movie. Like, I wasn't just, you know, using the special effects afforded to me. I was really making this role my own by vomiting up tripe. Um, but, I mean, okay, I, I, so I'm kind of 50-50 on it. I would say probably in one or two shots there's some real vomit, but I'd say the majority of it is, uh, is special. Because you can tell. You get that, that great zoom in on the, the intestines coming out of her mouth, uh, which was so great. Thank you, Fulci. But, yeah. uh, and you can see that she's got, like, this painted on these plastic teeth. It's like, it's like a fake head, like you would see in Friday the 13th part three, when he squeezes that camp counselor's head and the eyeball pokes out. Yeah. And the actress, to be fair, I mean, she's not claiming she did the whole thing with intestines. She's just claiming that the initial thing was real vomit that she ate tripe. The special effects people were like, no, it was kind of all us, but I think it was 50, 50 looking Mm -hmm. at it. I, I, I think that you're, you're right about that. So, um, in one of my favorite scenes after they, 
after Peter and Mary uh, stopped to uh, sample the local cuisine. Um, and uh, spoiler alert, uh, they uh, when time is up against the wall, they're late, so they probably shouldn't have stopped. Um, they probably should have gone through drive through But anyway, Peter and Mary finally make it. And they find Gary, the psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. They find him in the cemetery. And I love this scene. They ask about a priest who hanged himself. And he says, Father Thomas. And they respond, well, we don't know his name. And I'm sitting there thinking, how many priests do you think have hung themselves in that cemetery? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, is that the one? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some really strange dialogue exchanges in this movie. The writing is just... Oh, it's a treat. I mean, it is really a gift. Um, I don't know who wrote this movie, but their their first thought was, how can we make this entertaining, not how can we make this make sense? Yeah, yeah. So they find uh, eventually, after coming across some of the dead and poor little John John has been traumatized, and, and for some reason they're like, you know, stay here and watch John John instead of get the heck out of this town. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, go back um, to my studio apartment. You'll be safe there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, they find Father Thomas's grave. They find out that it leads to a series of catacombs. They batter the, battle their way through the catacombs to the risen priest. Uh, not everyone makes it, by the way, as you've talked about. Some one person gets their brain scooped out. Um, and so then, and we'll talk about the special effects in a minute, but so... You've got uh, two people try to melt Mary's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. On two separate occasions. On it, two they separate never quite occasions. get there. Uh, no, because Gary disembowels both of them because these zombies apparently, you know, even though they go for the brains, apparently, you know, they don't really care about their brains as their bowels that they have to go after is that how you took it? i guess you can just stab him anywhere and i want to talk about the last kill with the the priest but um uh because i thought it was kind of strange where he stabbed him wasn't quite as bad it was, it was a little lower but um uh yeah i guess they can just be stabbed anywhere with anything and they die even though earlier we kind of established that they can do anything i guess they can just be killed by some random metal rod to the stomach yeah because they just kind of pop into the bar don't they Mm-hmm. Yeah, they so they can teleport. I, I guess we've established because at first I was thinking, oh, maybe they're just figments of people's imagination and they die of fright or something. Maybe that's going to be the twist. No, they're real zombies. They actually kill people like physically, but they can somehow teleport and disappear, yeah. and it's they can use illusions and stuff. So I, I the thing I the conclusion I've come to is that these are still somehow voodoo zombies as well as hell zombies. Yes. Yeah, it is weird, but Gary manages to save Mary by stabbing the priest. And then let's go ahead and talk about that. The priest's death is very different, I guess, because he's the leader, because he's the one. I, I don't know what's going on there. You mean when he gets caught on fire? Yeah, when he just, yeah, he he spontaneously combusts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he combusts, and then it seems like all the other vampire vampire zombie things down there in the crypt with them catch on fire as well and just kind of sway back and forth while on fire um 
maybe it's like he's the hive mind and when you take him out everybody else goes up in flames but my thought was as to why he's being set on fire is that maybe that that rod he poked up had a cross on it and it was holy and it stabbed him oh okay because i'll go with that earlier in the movie uh when it's when it's just, I think it's Sandra and Gary, and they're in Sandra's house, yeah. she says, more like a crucifix, like, like get a crucifix to get these things back. So I thought maybe that was right. foreshadowing that we just didn't see it. There was supposed to be like a close-up shot of the rod that he stabs him with. Maybe there's a crucifix on there somewhere. Um, because it would make sense. It's, it's a cemetery. No, I, there's a lot of I do think that I do think that the uh, when he disembowels the priest that it is a cross. Yeah, it's crucifix. So that makes sense. Maybe it's just something holy, and it burns hell back or mm -hmm. something that might have been the thought but um maybe that should have been established better yeah maybe but uh so they fight their way through that they think all is well until they get topside mm -hmm. and then you have the ending with john john running toward them and they start screaming like john john is a zombie but does he look like a zombie to you no it's just regular john john i mean he looks pretty happy to see him and then uh yeah we cut back to uh, Mary and Gary, who I guess are the only people alive at this point, and they're screaming in terror. I was thinking maybe, oh, this is like the the shot has been cropped, and maybe you can't see the cops behind John John. Maybe they're zombies. But right. no, in the shot before, you can see their faces, and they still look like regular humans. So I have no idea why they were screaming. I think maybe the scare was supposed to be the transition to credits, that crumbling of the the shot that kind of yeah. leads to the credits. But it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Maybe, maybe there was supposed to be more to that. I think what they did is they just spliced together a happy ending and a scary ending and just called it a day. Yeah, I don't... I, I'm starting to think that the coffee thing is probably correct. That I think that Fulci spilled coffee <laughs> on the negative for the last few seconds and they just tried to do the best they could. I don't buy Fulci's answer that he went back and reshot that, that that's the ending he wanted. Do you buy that? No, not at all. Especially when we have stuff like zombie that have big twist endings and don't torture a duckling. I don't know why he would make the ending to uh, city of the living dead, just a kid running towards the camera and then transition. Um, there had, yeah, I think it's probably, maybe not so much Fulci spilling coffee, maybe that was exaggerated, but in some way I think the, the negatives were lost and they just had to cut around it. Because I've done that before, where I thought I had more coverage than I actually did, so I had to stretch out what I had to really make it count. Um, so I could definitely see that happening. But in my head, I saw two different endings. One in which John John runs up to Mary and runs into her arms and Gary's all happy and he's like, hey, policeman, and, and it's a happy ending. And then another where John John is, is a little zombie. And I think they just took those two endings and just spliced them together. But that's my fantasy world. I don't think that actually happened. I think they just had too little footage to make something compelling. So they were just like, ah, whatever, we'll just put that out. Yeah, and, and, and before we move on to talk about, get your opinion on the screenplay, even though you've mentioned the dialogue, um, I, I want to ask you, so uh, going back a little bit to the vomiting thing again, and I'm sure our listeners are, are happy to hear this. I hope they're not eating. Um, if you were filming a movie mm -hmm. and you had a vomit scene and you want to make horror movies, so that's a distinct possibility, um, and you had an actor who said that they wanted to vomit for real. 
are you up for that? Or you're like, you know what? We'll, we'll just use fake stuff. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't think I would be up for that for a couple of reasons. First of all, what if it's so traumatic for them that they never act again? Or I'm, I feel responsible for that. Or maybe people will find out this is real and my, my movie will get banned everywhere for that reason alone. I mean, they were willing to ban, uh, what was that one? There was this one uh, sci-fi TV movie with a shark, and it was taken off the air because it was revealed that one of the sharks in the movie was actually missing a fin. It wasn't just a, a, a special effect. So they're willing to do anything these days if they find out a special effect is real. I would think that if people found out the vomit was real, they would start questioning whether the blood was real, whether Fulci was actually killing people, because these days, well. conspiracy theories, they go wild. Yeah, I mean, Fulci did face some of that um, in his in his life. Um, he had a few um, times when he was brought before the Italian criminal court. But I, I don't think that vomit today, today, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe there are parts of the Middle East or something. I don't know. I, I think you get away with it. I, I'm working, if I were a director, if I were still a director, I would go with the fake stuff simply because, look, you know, God bless you and keep you. You're dedicated to your craft, but I don't want to smell your vomit. <laughs> you know, sure. I don't want to. I don't want that on the set to just run a tube up your shirt and let's just, you know, we'll do the side shot and let's just let's let it spew, man. Let's just, you know, I can take some Campbell's being spilled onto the floor. I don't right. see, I don't want to see you throw up. But now you have to keep this in mind. Think about um, Romero movies, like when you have that effect. Uh, in Day of the Dead with the the pig guts and stuff, sometimes special effects smell just as much as what the real thing would smell like. So well, you have to keep that in mind. Maybe the vomit was spoiled or something. I don't know. There, there's there's a couple distinct possibilities, in that, I, especially I'm when a, it's a Fulci movie. I'm a wuss when it comes to stuff like that. When I was a kid, if, if I smelled or saw some of my puke, I'd want to puke. So I, I don't do that anymore, but I just... Mm -hmm. I, but still, I, I hate that. Um, but now, Day of the Dead, according to Tom Savini, that wasn't their fault. It was the meat, the freezer that they had the meat in, or the refrigerator that had the meat in, had uh, died. And they right. didn't know it. And so it spoiled, and that's all they had. And they didn't have time to go get more. And Savini felt bad about that. But I mean, you know, sure. So. But, but knowing Fulci's luck, that something like that could happen to him. I mean, he ha somehow happened to hire an actress unknowing that she couldn't swim and that her big part in the movie was swimming <laughs> underwater. He hired her to swim and she couldn't swim. So knowing Fulci's luck, something would go wrong with the special effects somewhere. And I'm sure there's some horror story from one of his uh, sets where something went terribly wrong. When you have stuff like fake eyes, uh, being, you know, stabbed with wooden planks and you had people underwater for extended periods of time fighting real sharks. I'm sure something went wrong in a Fulci set like that. Yeah, I haven't heard anything, but I I will talk here in a minute about something that went wrong on a set with one of the cast members, but it wasn't on a Fulci movie. So let's talk about the screenplay. What did you think of the screenplay or do I need to even ask? Uh, not great. <laughs> Pretty weird, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's awful, I think it's, it just feels rushed, um, which, I mean, it makes sense if you look at the release dates, the European release dates for these movies. This movie came out in 1980. Uh, the next movie in the trilogy came out in 1981. And then the third movie in the trilogy also came out in 1981. Right. So it seems like this whole trilogy was just rushed to the point where, 
he was just kind of pumping them out one after another. And I see that he co-wrote the script himself. So when you're wearing that many hats, when you're basically uh, your own like on-set supervisor and your own director and your own co-writer, and you have to deal with these actors and some of them don't even speak the language you speak, I can see how this would be rushed and this would not feel coherent. But there are some parts in this movie that do not make sense at all. I mean, just... We do not have a central character. I can't stress that enough. We have no idea who the, the central characters are, basically, until the last 20 seconds. Um, I mean, we have we follow Bob on his exploits. We follow the reporter and Mary, uh, Gary and Sandra, and we follow the bartender at various points. I mean, it's like it cannot decide who the main character is until they die off, and then you're like, oh, well, I guess we're left with uh, Gary and Mary which is odd because originally the reporter and Mary were teamed up. I mean, Mary and Gary don't even know each other. Then they're acting like best chums, but you know, whatever. And Sandra is kind of short lived, doesn't she? But, um, yeah, the point being, I mean, it's very incoherent. I feel like, um, he had kind of a rough like place for where the story would go. Okay. They, they kill the priest and they have some kind of ending, uh, and he just didn't know how to get all these characters there that were necessary because he needed somebody to die in the catacombs, and that ended up being the reporter. Um, he needed somebody to stab the priest, that ended up being Gary, and he needed somebody for a dramatic eye close-up because he's always got to have that uh, in his movies, and that right. ended up being Mary. So I guess he was just trying to try, trying to scramble to figure all this out. I mean, I don't understand what is up with Bob. He is the biggest red herring in any Fulci movie so far. <laughs> I mean, he acts like a crazed lunatic throughout the entire movie, and then it just turns out, oh, he had literally nothing to do with this in any way. What no. is going on with him? And he's dispatched in a rather odd fashion for a zombie movie. Yeah, I mean, he's a regular guy who's a little weird, granted, but he has nothing to do with these zombies and everything. He, he's just a regular guy who the people suspect of being the killer of these people so the father of one of the of one of the murdered uh people in town takes his head to a spinning drill in a garage which is just out in the open i guess and you can just hit it with one flick of a switch there's no safety at all and he he runs the drill through bob's head and that's the end of bob this character we've cut back to for 45 minutes he's just gone and now we have the reporter, Mary, Gary, and Sandra left, and the bartender. So we have we have so many characters left to follow. It's just I don't think Fulci knew exactly what he was doing here. Yeah, for an hour and like thirty six minute movie, there are or thirty eight or whatever it is, there are a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, and a lot of plot points. Like each of those pairs of characters have their own like subplots you have john john and his sister emily which are connected to gary and sandra but then you that all ties together at the end with the reporter mary so it's just like you have two different towns they're coming from new york i guess and they're this uh georgia in disguise is dunwich um and right they, which, they these... which dunwich supposedly is built on the ruins of salem mm -hmm. massachusetts which is weird because salem is still there very much <laughs> yeah. Salem. i've been to salem several times it's it's very much there there's no town that's built over it and it's very easy to get to salem it's not hard but anyway yeah it's it's strange yeah the screenplay i would say is is one of the weaker parts of the movie uh, along with the acting which i'm sure we'll get to but uh you know it's serviceable i mean it, it does technically do its job but it's not 
especially compared to something as tight, you know, it's, it might be stupid, but it's as, something as tight as Zombie or as interesting as Don't Torture a Duckling. I think this is the weakest of the three we've reviewed so far. All right. So let's talk about the cast. First, we have, as forementioned, Christopher George, who I love in everything that he does. He was an interesting dude. Um, he was born in 1931. He died young in 1983 at the age of 52 from a massive uh, heart attack. And he was a smoker and a heavy drinker, but that's not what caused his death. What was that? Uh, the autopsy revealed that um, it was something else. So I'll talk about that here in a second. So just mm. a little bit of background on him. Uh, he was an interesting guy. Before becoming an actor, he grew up near Miami. Uh, he hunted alligators as a boy. So uh, like Joel Robertson, he's a Florida man. Um, he was a Marine. He survived several uh, plane crashes because he was airborne. Mm -hmm. um, he had to bail out once, like at 8,000 feet um, in a parachute. He worked his way through the University of Miami as a bartender and a bouncer. He had two black belts, one in karate and one in judo. Holy crap. And this guy starred along John Wayne? He did. Uh, he worked his way up in New York City after graduating from college, first doing theater. Uh, then he did modeling um, for magazines. He did commercials. Then he did TV. And then he did movies. And he did four movies with John Wayne, and they became really close friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, just looking at his IMDb filmography, when you have El Dorado and Graduation Day next to each other, mm -hmm. you know this guy had a wild career. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, but getting to what killed him, he was a star of a TV show in the 60s called Rat Patrol, mm -hmm. which was a military show that ran from like 66, 68. He was, the, he was one of the stars. And there was a scene where he's riding in a Jeep, well, the driver driving the Jeep took a turn too sharply. He was thrown from the Jeep. The Jeep crashed. He knew he hurt his back, um, and he had back pain for the rest of his life. But actually, when they did the autopsy, they found that he had suffered a heart contusion and that that's what eventually did him in. Oh, wow. How yeah, many was, years before was that? This was, he died in 83, so this had been 15 years before that he suffered a heart contusion, but it apparently had kind of started the dominoes falling towards heart failure. Wow. That's just tragic. And then he had no idea that his heart was in any danger no. for those 15 years. That's nope. crazy. Undiagnosed, yep. And this movie is just three years before his death. So that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of haunting now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he married uh, the gorgeous Linda Day George in 1970. They were married uh, until his death. Uh, Linda Day George, of course, all horror fans will know from, if nothing else, then that classic, uh, they were in Mortuary together, but that classic, classic, classic movie, Pieces, which we have to cover <laughs> at some point. Um, his film career kind of dried up in the 70s, though he continued to do kind of one-shot spots on popular TV shows, he and his wife. So that's when he turned to horror movies in the late 70s, doing things like Grizzly and Day of the Animals and Extermination Day and Graduation Day and all that kind of stuff. So what do you think of Christopher George? Well, I think his filmography speaks for himself. I mean, obviously, he was a talented actor. He kept getting uh, roles again and again. It looks like he worked very consistently um, throughout his career. And it's just amazing to me 
that he would have that kind of genre span, like Graduation Day, which say what you will about that, but I it, the four point <laughs> eight out of ten on uh, on IMDb I think speaks for itself. And then you have a classic like El Dorado, which even though it's not my favorite uh, John Wayne movie, it is a solid movie. It is. And just the fact that he was friends with John Wayne, yeah. yet he also starred in a Fulci movie. That's so crazy to me because, as we know, Fulci was not the biggest name in the industry. I mean, he didn't even know he had any fans until he went to a fan meetup. Right. So that is just insane to me. And just three years before his death, he starred in the beginnings of one of the most iconic Italian horror trilogies of all time. I guess it's one of the only now that I say that out loud. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, absolutely incredible. And he is, I would say he's one of the best parts of this movie. Definitely one of the stronger members on the cast. Oh, I would say my argument would be he is absolutely the strongest uh, member of the cast. And I think that's part of the problem. Because my question to you is, is he too good for his supporting cast? Uh, yeah, Well, here's the thing. I was expecting him to be um, the lead for, throughout the entire movie. I mean... I think I wrote my notes while I was uh, watching it that the only character that even resembles a real character is the reporter guy because, I mean, he's like, he feels like a lead. He's charming and he is, he plays that reporter, that kind of weaselly reporter uh, role that we, we saw a little bit of in Don't Torture Duckling with another actor. But, um, right. I mean, he's great in this. I would say he is, now that I'm thinking about it, Although I do commend uh, little John John for uh, delivering such a, a convincing role and what he probably did not understand at all. Um, yeah, I think realistically Christopher George is the best part of this. But I do think that, once again, his performance is hindered by the fact that it's been dubbed in Italian, then dubbed in back into English, um, which never helps. Because there are some noticeable, really bad ADR sync-ups. Though he does have one of the funniest scenes in the movie, I think, which is um, the scene with him and the cop he's trying to get in. Um, so that that was the first time it stuck out to me that he was a good actor in this movie. Um, and yeah, Christopher George, I would say shining star on the cast, but uh, the rest I cannot say the same about. Yeah, I, I liked him in this. It's not his greatest performance. You can kind of tell he wasn't happy to be there, but I, I, I still love everything he's in. I still, my favorite role of his is Grizzly. But so you do have Mary, um, who is, as you said, not really flushed out, but she does get probably as much, if not more, screen time than anybody else. Uh, an English actress by the name of Catriona McCall. Uh, what did you think of her? She was all right. Um, I think she did the best she could. She wasn't given a lot to work with. Like you said, there isn't much to her character. She's just kind of the vague, spiritual, like, know-it-all, um, where she's kind of guiding them. She's like, I saw a vision of this, so now we need to go to this place exactly. Um, I mean, she's fine. What I find most interesting is that she came back for another Fulci movie with House by the Cemetery, so obviously she enjoyed working, working with Fulci more than Christopher George did. Yeah, she came back for the other two movies in the trilogy. Yeah, she came back for The Beyond and <clears throat> House by the Cemetery. She didn't do a lot of movies after that. It just kind of hit or miss. She was more of a TV person. She did a lot of European TV. Uh, still alive, by the way. <clears throat> but And she hadn't done a lot of movies before this, though she did do one flick that the folks over at Retro Movie Geek just absolutely adore. 
Um, I'm being sarcastic. Um, Hawk the Slayer. Um, mm. which if you, if you haven't heard the retro movie geek episode on Hawk, the Slayer, it's worth listening to, um, a movie that even Peter struggles to defend. Um, but so she did all this. So anybody else in the rest of the cast even stick out to you? Even the, you know, the guy who played Gary or any, I mean, what do you think? John, John, anybody stand out to you? I think they're mostly pretty bland. The guy that played Gary was all right. I think his strongest moment was when he's with Sandra and she's raving and he's like just totally calm. Uh, like, oh, you're just suffering from hysteria. Something that's 70% of the women in the country. And I was like, oh, well, that's, like, that's that classic late 70s uh, misogyny coming out through Fulci here. But um, he was okay. Gary kind of just a everyday kind of guy not no defining character traits to him he's just his beard is the most memorable part of him basically um like i said i do admire um the guy that played john john because he was so young and it was obvious to me if i can't fully grasp what is going on by the conclusion of this movie I know for a fact the seven, eight, nine-year-old, how old, ever old he was, he definitely couldn't. But he's got this one scene that's pretty harrowing after uh, the zombie Emily kills uh, his parents. I mean, he's on the phone, and he's giving a pretty good performance when he's uh, crying and calling Gary. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mostly respect this cast for putting up with the set, with being covered in maggots and filming in this steaming hot Georgian set. Um, and just traveling all around. I mean, I do not envy them one bit, even though I would have the opportunity to star in this movie. I don't know how long I could be able to stand still in that maggot-filled room in 108-degree weather with Fulci screaming at me. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, good point, good point. Yeah, give the kid, give the kid a break. So let's talk about the cinematography. Um, you know, we had some great shots I thought in Zombie 2 when they get to the island and some in New York. What did mm -hmm. you think about the cinematography here? Good as ever, I would say. I think the most interesting thing to me is the use of color, especially at the end uh, when they're they're in the crypt, that final chamber in the crypt, and they've got like that stained glass ceiling, which is kind of putting neon lights on their faces. Um, there's some really interesting uses of, of color, but the camera as well does some really interesting things. I think the part that stood out to me the most was when uh, Mary is in the coffin and she's starting to wake up and you have her body bathed in blue in that coffin and with those close quarter shots. True, um, yeah. And that was really, really cool. Um, really made me feel claustrophobic and it was pretty foreboding. Uh I don't think this is as interesting visually as Zombie 2 or Don't Torture Duckling, but I think when you compare it to other things, uh, other stuff that's not Italian cinema that was coming out in 1980, I think it's pretty different. I mean, obviously you've got that signature Fulci close-ups and zooms and very dramatic camera movements during screaming scenes. I mean, you have Mary in the beginning and she's kind of convulsing and dying of fright. Uh, or so they think, and the camera's just going crazy. I mean, it's it's splicing between the father hanging himself and her rolling around and whatever, and it really makes you feel frantic. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say this is the weakest, the the least um, interesting of the three we've reviewed. Yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, one of the things I, I'm I'm hesitant to ask you about. 
but I'm going to go ahead and do it since you are the musician. What did you think about the score by Fabio Fritzi? Surprisingly, not bad. Um, really? I, I thought you would hate it. No, there are a few cool moments. Um, there's some there's some cool stuff. I don't remember exactly when it is, but I think it's when Sandra and Gary are kind of hiding out from the random exploding windows or whatever. There's this cool like guitar piece. I don't even know. It's like a like an a muted guitar piece, which is pretty cool. That stood out to me. The rest of it, I think, is is all serviceable. You've got some really lame sense at the very end when they're climbing out of the Thomas family crypt. Um, I mean, it's just really boring. It's like C chord, D chord on the synth. But um, I think otherwise it serves its purpose. There was nothing that stood out to me as being bad. There was just some average or slightly subpar moments with a few noticeable standouts that I thought were pretty good. Okay, because when I was watching it, excuse me, um, there were a couple times when it just sounded kind of uh, early 80s cheap Casio keyboard kind of thing, which I thought you would have jumped on. But that's just how it struck me. Yeah, but I, honestly, I think it fits this movie. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it it's it's kind of a, it's a pulp movie. I mean, it's it's obviously compared to the big budget stuff, even like Jaws. I'm sure this was low budget. Maybe not so much compared to something like uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, but um, I mean, you get what you pay for. You're not going to get a giant orchestra performing for City of the Living Dead. But I think what we got was serviceable. And like I said, nothing stood out to me as being awful. So that is when I think a score is at its best, when it's just serving the movie and it's not bad. Yeah, I didn't. I, I just didn't fall in love with it. I don't do a lot of vinyl um, anymore. I, I got rid of most of my CDs. But this is not one I would pick up myself. But um, yeah, well, if I, I mean, did... Of course, mostly for the fact that you don't want to take up shelf space. People are like, what's that? And you're like, oh, it's my City of the Living Dead soundtrack. And they're like, get a job. Yeah, I would not. I would not want to. <laughs> or, get, or get a life. Probably. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not it's not something I would own. But I like I said, it, it wasn't offensive to me. I just think it worked for the movie. OK. All right. So let's talk about something more exciting. What did you think about the special effects here? Great. I think that they were the best so far in just that we see so much of them. Um, and they're really creative. I mean, I never thought I could see people killed in the way they're killed in this movie. Um, I think mostly of that scene with the two teenagers in the car, they're kind of down lover's lane. And uh, the girl's like, I, I hear somebody. I, I keep and it's it's almost like that classic hook tale, uh, that urban legend. But uh, and then they turn on the headlights and the priest is hanging there and then he's teleporting around uh, and staring at uh, the girl in the car. And we get that classic eyeball melt, brain melt thing. And then her insides start coming out of her mouth. And that whole scene is just filled with the most gruesome, gross out special effects. I mean, it keeps going. I think that vomit scene alone, like just just the shots of her vomiting make up a minute and a half. Um, it's, it's almost trauma-esque. It's almost there. Like there's something like poltergeist with the bathroom scene. If you know what I'm talking about, it did yeah. make me wince a little bit cause it was so gross. It was so slimy. I can only imagine what it must've felt like for that poor actress. Yeah. The, the makeup effects were done by Franco Ruffini. He didn't do a whole lot after this, but the special effects chief Gino De Rossi, 
he would go on to do uh, The Last Emperor, which won Best Picture in 1987, and he would do uh, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. So he went on to a pretty good, you know, career. And I agree. I think, you know, especially give anybody credit for working with 20 pounds of live maggots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how much you could pay, could pay me to think up these things. I mean, he's like, it's in the script. You got to do it. I'm like, please don't make me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be proud of this movie or I'd be ashamed to tell people because they'd probably think I was a serial killer. But uh, I mean, great work. It's very convincing. And I don't think unless you're watching this on like a huge uh, 4K screen, I don't think you could really notice that many flaws in it because it is just top notch work. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I thought the I thought that was the standout. I thought Christopher George, and um, I'm going to go with you on some of the lighting, especially in the in the uh, grave. I think that when Mary is in the grave, that kind of blue backlight backlit kind of thing, kind of a uh, little bit of Dean Cundy kind of effect. I think is it is really mm-hmm. effective, and and the special effects are a standout. So I will give it all that. Now, I have to say this. Um, as an aspiring biblical scholar, the book of Enoch is not 4,000 years old. Um, mm-hmm. They kept talking about the book of Enoch. First of all, the book of Enoch is about Noah's flood. Yep, I know. Um, <laughs> I I looked into it because I was curious. I was like, oh, is this some voodoo book? No. No, it's just like an extra biblical book about like apocalypse, basically. Nothing about zombies raising from the dead. I don't know where no. she got that. Um, and she's portrayed as some kind of like fortune teller or something or medium. Why, why does she have like a Hebrew like text? Why, why does that have anything to do with her medium work? Well, and and the funny thing is the book of Enoch is not available in Hebrew. It's only available in uh, like Coptic, um, in in Ethiopia. And there are only parts, some of it in Aramaic and, Forgive well, me, I'm, yeah, a, I'm, a, I'm a PhD in this study, So, but it's not, it was written about literally about 100 years before Christ, so when they were making this, it was, it was roughly 2,000 years old, and most Jews and Christians did not accept it as anything other than Yeah, I, I read about that, I read that, um, even though it's a Hebrew text, that the Jews reject it because it talks about the coming of Christ, and they didn't want to accept that, but then yeah, yeah, it's attributed to Enoch, but it was made way later. Oh, so, way, way later, yeah. So I, I, I was confused on that as well. Why couldn't they have just made up a book? Why couldn't they just made up the book of the dead or something? Why did it have to be right. something so weirdly specific? Yeah, I don't know. That was really strange. But all right. So what else do you want to talk about with City of the Living Dead? Uh, you know, not there's just a few things. OK, uh, Mary inside the coffin. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. We've already talked about how cool it is. Um, but there was something that kind of bugged me. You know, there is probably one centimeter of dirt on top of her. Um, <laughs> and she is kicking and punching as hard as she can. She's clawing her way out. But she can't seem to do anything. And I'm just thinking in my head, okay, the bride in Kill Bill Part 2 was under six feet of dirt, and she did it in 45 seconds flat. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Come on, Mary. Get your head in the game. I mean, she's not totally useless. Later on, I mean, she's she, I mean, she's got some pretty good information. But how can she not kick, punch, make a hole in that wood or something? I know they don't make these with reinforced steel. Um, she's got to have the reporter. I don't know his character's name. Christopher George's character's name. Is it Peter? Uh, Peter. Peter Bell, I think, yeah. So Peter has to come and save her, even though, like I said, there's one centimeter of dirt. Some of the coffin isn't even obscured at all. 
um, which I thought was hilarious. And the lead up to Peter rescuing her, I mean, he hears something and he stops and he looks and then he starts walking away and he hears it again and he stops and he looks and then he starts walking away and then he stops and he looks. There's like six cutaways back and forth between Mary and him walking away and then stopping because he thinks he hears something. And we're like, we get it, Fulci. He's conflicted over whether he saw that. <laughs> I think he wanted to get this to 90 minutes so badly that he's like, let's just add in a few more reaction shots. I mean, we got Christopher George. Why not? So, um, well, that, and that would you, of... if you heard somebody screaming in a coffin, which first of all, why is she not embalmed? But, mm-hmm. uh, because she's being buried in New York city, not Haiti. But, um, and so then if you heard somebody screaming in a coffin, would you really take a pickaxe and start swinging at the head of it? I know. And he <laughs> misses her three times, just barely. I mean, it goes all the way through right next to her. Why didn't she say, stop, you're going to stab me to death. She just kept screaming. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah, he goes about it in the in the totally wrong way. Why didn't she just pry it open with a pickaxe, first of all? Second of all, um, I mean, and then they're just fast friends. As or soon as or just go get help because nobody's going to bury her that night. Mm-hmm. And, and those people had just walked away maybe 15 seconds ago. You yell out for help and they're coming back. I mean, what, whatever they say about unions, if you say there's somebody dying over here possibly, I mean, they're going to get fired if they don't do anything. So, um yeah, I, I didn't get that. And then they're just fast friends after that, and he's in for this plot. I mean, he's just, he's committed until he dies at the very end. Uh, he, for some reason, feels just obligated to see this whole thing out, which I don't understand at all. What, is he going to write a story about Dunwich? Is that his, when he originally meant to write it about some house have... in New York? I have no idea. I don't know what he was doing. Obviously, he was trying to do a piece on a girl who supposedly died of fright during a seance. Uh, so mm-hmm. apparently he's working for like the New York Post, not the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so that I think that's what he was doing. But other than that, yeah, I can't help you. So that was weird to me. Um, there are a couple moments like that where I'm just like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, so, okay, another thing. This, this kind of caught me off guard. Is it just me or does Christopher George in this movie look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, especially when he's smoking a cigar, which is always, by the way, he yeah. kind of gives me that vibe. Really? I, no, I mean, I can kind of see it in the face, but I don't know. I've seen him in so many things. Sure, sure. And, and I, I saw him in a lot of stuff before I ever saw Schwarzenegger. Like, you know, I, I saw Conan the Barbarian on cable when I was like 11 years old. And by then, I'd already seen El Dorado and Chisholm and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I knew Christopher George before Arnold Schwarzenegger, so maybe that's why I don't make the connection. So that that was just a, a moment where my my brain was like, that's somebody you know. And I'm like, no, nah, I haven't seen anything he's been. I mean, I've seen El Dorado, obviously, but I did not recognize him from that. Um, I mean, it had been a while since then. But um, so I wrote that down. I wrote down the thing about the Book of Enoch because I had to look into that. And I was very confused about why they chose that specifically. My yeah, thought weird. is that my thought is that maybe Fulci saw it on a shelf somewhere and he thought that looks really mystical. I'm going to make that in a movie. Uh, but he didn't actually bother, the, bother to read it. Or maybe he was just relying on the fact that nobody had read the Book of Enoch who was watching the movie. He just kind of um, thought, you know, no biblical scholars are going to come in to watch City of the Living Dead. So I think I'll be good. Oh, but what he was wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Little did he know. We got you, Fulci. Uh, we got a PhD student right here tearing apart your plot. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's great. Um I mean, everyone in this movie is so hysterical. 
and I don't mean funny. I mean, they're just crazy. Everything sets them off. They're screaming about everything. I mean, Sandra is the worst about it. Um, anything ever makes her scream. And I get that that, you know, that holds over from his previous movies. I just don't get that style of acting where you, you get so filled with emotion that you scream and jump around and act crazy, make all the other people think you're a killer. It's just, it's crazy. And the, the zooms into the eyes. I mean, we get probably 30 throughout this movie. Um, it, it is crazy. And as I mentioned earlier, there are too many storylines story to follow. I have no idea what the whole point of the thing with the bartender was. I mean, we get his story as early as the first 10 minutes and all of that just to have him killed off screen by a zombie. I don't understand. Was he some kind of red herring as the protagonist? Like, what was Fulci thinking when he had this, I, whole, this whole thing? It didn't make any sense. I think he was just looking for another scare scene, and I think he was looking for padding. Because other than that, no, it doesn't make any sense. Because they're not very interesting characters. No, they're not. They're just those classic, like, sitting around the bar, you know, drinking buddies. And, I mean, this weird thing happens in the beginning when his wall is cracked in two i guess that's maybe a, a biblical reference to when jesus died and the the temple was torn right. to or whatever but it doesn't really make much sense because i don't it's way after the gates of hell have already been opened supposedly so i th i really think fulci wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do with this story i think he thought okay so we got zombies we got maybe it's almost a possession story um and we have hell. We have this cosmic horror aspect to it. Let's just throw as much scary stuff as we can into the movie. We'll have vomiting guts and randomly splitting wall. And it just feels very sloppy. Even though it's short, it felt longer than it was just because there was so much going on during it. Yeah, I think that was padding. I can see where you could put this together. Like, I would like it if, um, say, for example, the priest hangs himself, then the wall cracks. And the bar is kind of like the hangout spot for Dunwich. So we get a siege narrative with like the sheriff and and maybe some of Gary's patients, something like that. You know what I mean? That I could see mm -hmm. um, if we had a siege narrative there instead of them just teleporting in and out. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, they just teleport in and three surround the bar people and then they're dead off screen, by the way, I might add. I don't think we see a single one of them get killed on screen, though that might be in the uncut version. That's what I was thinking. I, I don't think we saw the uncut version. And now I'd really like to see if the... Uh, you know, I was not going to buy this, um, but I kind of want to see if there's an uncut version out there. Maybe, you know, even dig up the DVD from Anchor Bay. But, all right. So what else, anything else you want to talk about with City of the Living Dead? Uh, not, not really. Not anything meaningful. I mean, there's there's some weird moments in the movie, like when... Uh, Gary and uh, Peter discover the parents of John John that have been killed by Emily. And um, Gary walks out of the room and goes, he's like, that's awful. They've been ripped in two. I mean, literally ripped to shreds. Like, yeah, Gary, weren't you both just in there? Why, why are you describing this to the audience, essentially, <laughs> is what he's doing. And I guess they ran out of blood at that point because they couldn't show that. Um, or maybe that's in the uncut version. Who who knows? Yeah, I don't um, know. I tried to find the budget on this, and I couldn't find it. Yeah, and I mean, it happened so long ago, and it happened with, I mean, it's cross-national. You, you go from Italy to New York to Georgia. There's so many, like, different possibilities for where the money went. I don't think they have a definite number. But, uh, yeah, this just feels, it feels crowded yet incomplete at the same time. 
Um, so that that's those are my thoughts on it. I mean, I think we should have had a psycho-esque explanation scene at the end where they explain everything that happened and what the ending meant. I think we just need Norman Bates smiling into the camera with a narrator at the end of every movie, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, so, I mean, just, just to cap off my discussion about this movie... I think there's some great ideas. The the end with the Thomas family tomb and them exploring the crypt, that felt pretty creepy. I felt compelled, uh, and, but then they just had to ruin it with the weird ending. They probably could have just ended it with the burning priest, but nope, they had to go above ground and see John John running at them. Well, and the other thing is, is this, um, something that may factor into all of our criticisms. So this was shot in March and April of 1980 and was released in Italy in August. Right. So, so not very much time to edit like we saw with zombie. Right. Yeah. It was rushed. Yeah. It was definitely rushed. And I don't understand that because zombie was a hit. Okay. They saw that and they didn't pour very much money into it in the beginning, but it was a hit. So I'm thinking, why didn't they give Fulci money and time to make something that could rival zombie? But instead, I don't think it lived up to it. Yeah, I agree. So, what is your rating and recommendation for City of the Living Dead? In its current state, I'm going to give it a 6.75 out of 10 um, to a 7. I think entertainment-wise, it's a 7. But objectively, when you look at the story and the narrative provided to us, it's a 6.75. I would still say stream it on Shutter, especially if you want to check out the other two movies in the trilogy. Um, I don't know how linear it is. I'm, I'm pretty sure there isn't a continuous narrative. I think it's just a theme, a thematic thing. Um, but I would say if you're going to check out uh, the From Beyond, or is it The Beyond? I think it's just The Beyond. The Beyond, um, yeah. And uh, House by the Cemetery, I think that's what it's called. Um, yep. I would say stream this, but don't expect something uh, as interesting as Don't Torture a Duckling or as rewatchable zombie. I think this is just a one-watch thing for me. Yeah, I was going to give it a 6 out of 10, but because of the late, great Christopher George and because of the special effects... I'm kicking it up to a 6.5, maybe even a 7. I'm with you. I call it a solid stream. Um, if you have Shutter, there's no reason not to see this. Um, you know, if you have seen it, you don't necessarily need to see it again. Uh, but it's, I do think there are parts of it that are really fun, and it is something that every horror fan needs to see at least once. Agreed. So, yeah. All right. So. Uh, even though people know what's coming, just in case, before we reveal uh, next week's film from Mr. Fulci, be sure to check out our website, fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, and we have a closed Facebook page. We want to thank our Patreon supporters and encourage you to become one as well. We release exclusive content uh, for our Patreon supporters. We also take suggestions from our Patreon supporters. In fact, uh, Lord willing, we will have an episode in June from one of our kind supporters uh, who will be on the show, uh, hopefully, and also be following their recommendation. So you can be a guest mm -hmm. and do that as well as Patreon. And we also want to thank uh, the Gill Man, Joel Robinson, for um, talking about our podcast and for the Patreon um, page that we have. We also want to thank Peter for bringing that up. Uh, we appreciate you guys over at Retro Movie Geek. So that being said, where can they find you on social media, buddy? 
On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero, one word. I've also got a YouTube channel. Uh, you can find linked in both those websites. I'd also just like to thank, real quick, uh, Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, and Joel Robertson, obviously, our great patrons. I have got a video coming for you about my movie collection, so look forward to that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So uh, everybody can find me at uh, Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. So next week for episode 45, uh, yet another Fulci film and our continuing tribute leading up to June, a film that some consider to be his masterpiece. And it is also streaming on Shudder, The Beyond from 1981. Now, I know you're looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I will finally have a movie to put with the name. It has haunted me for so long, and I am looking forward to seeing what Fulci can do. I mean, people say this is his masterpiece, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I put this up there with The Psychic, which I also like a lot. But, uh, so folks, um, that's and that is The Beyond, not From Beyond by Stuart Gordon. It's The Beyond. So I always get those mixed up, even though I'm sure they're nothing alike. I think it's just the fact they both came out the same decade, and they both got The Beyond in the title. I just... Uh, yeah, I get them mixed up, but I shouldn't because I will have seen both of them by next Sunday. There you go. So, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, continue to stay safe in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, watch lots of horror movies. Um, check out some of our favorite podcasts like HMP, Horror Movie Podcast, Land of the Creeps, Retro Movie Geek, The Huh Podcast, and Terror on the Tube. So, that being said, say goodbye to the good people, buddy. Goodbye, and remember to worm-proof your windows. <laughs> always, always. So, uh, yeah, I mean, on top of, uh, you know, we've got uh, early hurricane season, and we have murder hornets. So, yeah, you definitely want to do all you can. So, uh, folks, read the book of Revelation. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, so goodbye for now, and remember, the family that slays together stays together. See you next time.